This morning, we're going to change from our regularly scheduled program in Hebrews. We're going to do something different this morning. Um, I spent hours studying for our next message in Hebrews, and it was one of those rare times, I think in the years I've been preaching and doing ministry, I can recall four times maybe that the final line is coming for me to preach, and in my soul, I just felt like that is not what I'm supposed to do. We need to do something else. I want to share with you something that I truly felt God just sort of laid on my heart to share with our church body. What I'm going to talk about may be not new to many of you. If you've been a Christian for long, then I would say to you, it's good to be reminded of things we may have sort of forgotten or lost our focus on. Some of you, maybe these are new things you've not heard before. In any case, I hope you can appreciate what we're going to talk about today. And here's what we're going to talk about. We're just going to talk about the Bible. And the title for the message is just simply, Why Care About the Bible? Because, see, I got to thinking, in church life, especially if you've been in it for any length of time, for years, you are used to hearing about the importance of the Bible. Every preacher, teacher, Sunday school teacher, whoever, you know, be in your Bible, read your Bible, over and over you've probably heard that. And that that you should. But then I thought... It's probably good that we pause and ask ourselves, but why? Like, why is it that way? For example, why is it that we even have a Bible versus God just doesn't sort of zap information straight into your brain? Or you just sort of audibly hear his voice? Why is it, though, we have a book and we put such a focus on be in that book? You got to be in that book. But why? What's so special about this book called the Bible? So that's what I want to go with this morning. Is just help us understand. And again, you may be sitting there and say, I have no doubt in my mind that it's important. I know that. Then great. I hope this is sort of an encouragement to you to remember and be invigorated to stay in your word, the Bible, because of what we'll talk about. So why is the Bible critical this morning? Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to just look at two verses, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3.16 is arguably one of the most important passages that actually speaks about the Bible itself. What, it, what it's there for, what it does, where it came from. So that's where we'll start. Let's look at these and I'd ask... If you join out of respect for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? And let's just read these two verses and we'll get started. The Apostle Paul was writing this to Timothy and he says, All scripture is breathed out by God, or yours may say inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, I now ask that you would bring my own thoughts captive to, to bear to what the Holy Spirit has for us to learn from this passage. And I would ask that you help our minds and our hearts be educated and encouraged and inspired to see a greater significance, have a greater passion for getting into your word so that by it we can grow and know more of your will and your thoughts so that we can live a life well-pleasing to you. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So let's just answer this question, why is the Bible critical? Again, why care about the Bible? Why is it critical? Here's just the first plain reason, but it's so important. Paul says it here in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Well, that's our first answer. Why is the Bible important? Because of who wrote it, because of its author. Well, who authored the Bible? God wrote it. God wrote the Bible. Now, a thinking person would say, well, wait a minute. I thought you just said Paul wrote this to Timothy. What about the letter Peter? Didn't Peter write that? James, didn't James write that? What about Matthew and Mark? It doesn't say God in the title of those books, does it? It has another person's name, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What about that? Well, this is where it gets interesting. God wrote it. I want you to see that, and let's look at this. In verse 16, he says, All Scripture, and let's just substitute Bible for the word Scripture. That word just means sacred writings or the writings from God. So Paul's saying, I'm not talking about fiction books. I'm not talking about novels written, biographies. I'm not talking about anything except what he's going to call Scripture. That's stuff that comes from God, writings from God. So the Bible then. So the Bible, all Scripture is, and he, my translation, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, says, is breathed out by God. The NIV says something similar. Most translations that you may have will simply use the word inspired by God. I'll talk about that in just a minute, but, but there's just a little difference to think about there. But let's back up to this word all before we get going. The word all is interesting too. What does all mean? All, every each of it, all of it, every portion of it, every part of it. So again, Paul says, listen, I'm going to talk about Scripture, and I'm saying all of it. It, it. it is something. Well, what he's trying to make the point clear is what we know as Scripture, every part of it, every portion of it, every section of it is all from God. He wrote it. He authored it. It comes from him. That means this, the book of Exodus, I'm just throwing out an example. The book of Exodus um, is not any less significant than the Gospel of John. They're all equally from God, equally authored by God. So they are important and they're significant. You can't say, well, I think that this book over here in the Old Testament is probably not quite right, so we'll put that over here. And there's people that do this. There's, there's professional theologians in seminaries that teach this stuff. They will say the Old Testament was a God of wrath and anger, but the New Testament shows us Jesus Christ, whose love and grace and forgiveness. And so then they'll conclude the Old Testament must be something else because that's not what we want to follow. That's not what we're after. So they'll sort of table the Old Testament and say, that's not fully scripture. I just want to stress that Paul had no such idea. He says all of it. It's all from God. So that means if you find something challenging in one part of the Bible that you can't square with another part, then that means not that one part's wrong. It means we've got to do more work to fit it together because it's all from God. So what does he mean? How is it from God, though? ESV says breathed out by God. Again, others say inspired. Here's what's going on. Paul sort of took two words in the Greek and smashed them together, and he kind of made up his own word. He took the word for God, and then he took the word for when you exhale or breathe out air. 
He put them together. He said, what is the Bible? It is God breathing out His air. His holy air. And what came out is the pages of Scripture. That's how we can say it's God-authored. It comes from God. The Scriptures are, in Paul's mind, they are as if breathed out by God. He spoke, and here comes the Scriptures. The NIV says God breathed, and like I said, the ESV says breathed out by God. Most traditional Bibles, like your King James, your New King, even the New American Standard, which I love, they'll use a traditional word called inspired. I'm not knocking it, but I just want to stress um, that can be confusing because we'll hear a songwriter, for example, today say, oh, what inspired you to write that song? And they give some story or a person in their life that inspired them to do this song or paint this. Or That is not what, if your Bible says inspired, it doesn't mean that at all. It, it literally means this. It, it means that it came from God. He breathed it out. So why is the Bible important? Again, I want to stress because of who authored it. God himself authored the Bible. Well, that still begs the question. But, but again, we, we read letters that say from Paul, from James, from doesn't say from God. Well, let's keep looking at this. Here's how this worked. There was God doing something and then the human writer doing something together. And the finished product is the Bible, the scriptures. But Paul could say, I didn't write it. James didn't write it. God ultimately wrote. He breathed out the scriptures. What God did is he chose certain people to be his sort of mouthpiece, his spokesperson. He chose these people to convey his word to other people. And it was at times written down, recorded records, so to speak, for future generations to continue having that. But what God did is he chose that person factoring in their setting of history, their personality, all kinds of variables. So here's, for example, um, an illustration If I wrote a speech, like I typed it out in a Word document, word for word, what I wanted spoken, and I gave it to five of you, different genders, different age categories, I spread it out amongst our demographic, and you came up here and I said, read this speech. You're going to hear the same words, obviously you're just reading off the speech, but I would argue what you're still going to have different is, there's going to be different inflections you're going to get a different feel about the speech because of the person conveying it. If it's a man versus a woman, if it's older versus younger, if it's someone who's more animated and exciting or someone more reserved and introverted, you're going to hear the same words, but you're going to have it presented to you with a little bit different coding to it, so to speak, because the, the person. And that's what God did. He, for example, chose Paul and, said, and gave his message to Paul. He moved within Paul to write Corinthians, for example. There was a situation in a church, and through the Holy Spirit, God moved within Paul to write 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. And then Paul writes those down, and he could even admit about his own writings, this is from the Lord. I'm giving you something from God through me. Paul was like a conduit from God's Word through Paul to the audience. Then you have James and others The difference is it's all God's word, but conveyed through the person who has different personality, different makeup. But my point is God used those things to get his word across. 
I think this is a part of God's grace. It's, it's him condescending to the human level. If God just audibly spoke from heaven all the time, that would probably, I mean, some people say, oh, I'd love that. I think it would be quite frightening, first of all, and it could actually be odd, just to be blunt, because what God does often in Scripture, he uses a human agent. Why? Because he's trying to talk to other humans. It's sort of how he condescends to our level, so we get it, we understand. So he uses Moses, and he writes what he writes, and other people can see and receive that, and Moses, though, is clear. This is from the Lord, though. So Paul was, in every sense, Paul, the person, when he wrote his letters. Yet the same Paul could say, not I say, but God. He spoke through me, but God conveyed it through Paul's personality. He used Paul based on his background, his experiences, his setting. The same way with every biblical writer, God factored those things in. And through the Holy Spirit, that's the key, through the Holy Spirit within that person, that human author, God conveyed the message he wanted them to produce out. And the person was even aware, I am writing or conveying something from God here. Let me share with you Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. So again, that's the idea. God did speak. He's a speaking God. He spoke to humans. And in Hebrews, he says he spoke to our fathers. Now, he means the Jewish ancestors. But here's how he did it. By the prophets. So now you get a first clue how God did this. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, on we could go. Those books in the Old Testament. God took a man and said, you are my chosen messenger, a prophet. He gave them the message. They gave the message to the people God said give the message to. But oftentimes it was recorded down and preserved for future generations. Verse 2 says, but in these last days, so God's done additional ways he's communicated with people in the end times. How? He says, by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So God spoke to the prophets. Think of it, Old versus New Testament. In the Old Testament, God predominantly spoke through the prophets. It's recorded down. It's preserved. In the New Testament, it all started with Jesus Christ, his son. He spoke. Everything Jesus spoke, said, and did was directly from God. He was God. But John says he was the word of God that took on flesh and lived among people. Then you have Jesus himself saying to his apostles, the 11, we're not going to count Judas, so the 11 of the original 12, Jesus said to them in John that he's going to die, rise again, and then go back to the side of the Father. And then Jesus said, when I return, and they were, they were all sad about this, like, no, you can't leave Jesus. He said, no, 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 it's to your advantage that I go. Why? Because if I go back there, I can send the Holy Spirit to you. He won't be around you. He'll be in you. He'll indwell your heart. Then Jesus told them, there's more teachings I have for you, but you're not ready for it yet. There's more truth for them to share with the world, but the time wasn't there yet. So Jesus authorized the apostles, Peter and those guys, and told them, you will continue on my mission and the rest of my truth. You'll teach it. But it will be after the Holy Spirit comes within them and they produce the scriptures. So you have prophets of the old authorized by God to do this. Jesus did it. And then Jesus authorized his apostles to do it. That's why whenever the church received a letter from an apostle like Peter, they knew we're dealing with something holy here. This was not just a man writing Peter. This is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ writing from the Holy Spirit. 
So they knew it was scripture, it was from God. Here's uh, Peter himself actually answers a little bit more of how God did this. Let's go to 2 Peter 1, verse 20 through 21. It says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So that's interesting because Peter says, let me set the record straight. No portion of Scripture that a prophet or anyone said was from God, they didn't come up with that on their own. That's that phrase, from one's own interpretation. Verse 21, he goes on, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It wasn't the, Isaiah didn't just wake up one day and say, I think I'll produce this massive tome of a literary work that will be called Isaiah and people will love it. He didn't just do that. He didn't on his own say, I will write this. See, that's what authors do, right? They have an idea, they write it. That's not what God authors did. They didn't just come up with this. It was given to them from the Lord. He goes on in verse 21, how did they do it? Well, these men spoke from God, so they spoke from God, we've said that, but here's how, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That phrase carried along, some translate moved along, it's the imagery in the Greek of a sail on a ship let down and the wind pushing the sail, moving the ship along. The God-inspired author did not move the ship on his own. He let the sails down and let the Holy Spirit move the ship where the Spirit wanted it to move. Peter says that's how Scripture came about. Not, not Paul's own mind and thoughts. It was the Holy Spirit within him pushing him along to convey and write what God wanted him to do. An example, Acts twenty-eight twenty-five. It says, In disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit, so Paul quotes, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. Now, there's a context to that. It doesn't actually have anything to do with our message. I just share this verse for one simple phrase. Paul said to these Jews, the Holy Spirit was right saying to your fathers through the prophet Isaiah. That's how the process worked. It wasn't Isaiah being harsh on the Jews. Paul says, no, it was the Holy Spirit through Isaiah saying what Isaiah said. So he's kind of saying, don't, if you don't like something that the Bible says, don't blame the guy that wrote it. It was really the Holy Spirit saying that, which is God. So the first reason the Bible is very, again, very, very critical. Why is it important? It's not just any book that's out there. What makes it special? Who, the author of it, the one who wrote it, it was God himself. Again, that's what Paul means in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. Yes, he chose human authors, human agents, but he worked and moved on them through the Spirit so they produced God's actual words. And it's recorded down for us. Now, a little bit more behind the scenes is how we got our Bible today. There's a whole lot of information on that. I challenge you to find some good material on there. It's a fascinating study in and of itself, but let me say this just in summary fashion. How it worked is you had Moses, for example, moved on by the Holy Spirit, and Moses wrote what he wrote, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Well, then Moses is recording this down per the Holy Spirit. Then you have a scribe after him making a copy of that. 
Now, some would say right there, oh, that's how we can distrust the Bible. What if the one copying it made a mistake? And now then that mistake is perpetuated for centuries to come. How do we know we have the real deal? Well, if you look at the process of how they did it, I believe logically there should be no shadow of a doubt that they copied it precisely right. The Jews had a process for copying the text from the prophets and people like Moses. They had authorized, trained people to do it, most of them called scribes. Not anyone could do it, only a scribe. They would, their full-time job was to copy scripture. Remember, no computers. I mean, you copy this by hand. They would take the original, kind of set it here, the scroll. Here it is, here's the original from Moses. They have the fresh scroll, they're going to make a copy. This was a ceremonial event for them. They would have to wear special garments to signify that they're copying scripture. That let everyone else know, leave them alone. They're doing something very significant here. They would go to a special area where it's like a controlled environment, sort of. So they've got the original, they've got their copy. The Jews had rules. They didn't just copy it word for word. They literally had to copy the form. So if the original had two columns and was so many words long and so many lines deep, they had to have a same. It, it, point is, it looked like a photocopy. They didn't just copy the words, like they copied how it looked, one for one. So the idea would be the copy, you would almost not be able to tell the difference from the copy to the original, even by just looking at it visibly on the scroll. It's going to have the same width, the same length, the same size, everything about it. Then, when they come to the name Yahweh, the covenant name of God, they had another ceremony just for that. They would have to stop what they're doing, they would have to ceremonially wash. They would change clothes just to write the name Lord in the Old Testament. Then they would stop and change back into the other clothes and do this again. They, If the ink were to sort of drain from the quill a little, they would scrub the whole thing and start over. If a fact checker will call them, it's more of a peer that's judging their work, determined that they made an error or they had something off, they would scrap it and start over. I'm stressing this again so you get the idea. Meticulous, drawn-out process. Why? Because they knew what they were dealing with. God's Word. and They took great care to make sure it was precisely and accurately preserved to the letter, to the size, to the shape for their future generations to come. You get to the New Testament. It's a little different. The New Testament, you have Paul who wrote, let's take the letter to Ephesians. So there's a letter to a church and there's why it's called that. He wrote that to the church, maybe a group of churches in a region. Then Ephesians, it's to the church at Ephesus. So he writes that to them. They receive it. They have their original copy, fresh off the press from the Apostle Paul. Again, you've got to remember, no computers, no printing press. Everything's by hand. People's full-time job back then in the Roman Empire was to be a scribe. You could be trained in that, and that's how you made money, is you copied books. It was an expensive process. It was long and drawn out. So Paul writes one, goes to the church at Ephesus, for example. They read it. They receive it. They know it's God's word. They love it. They have a scribe in the church. They say, we need to copy this and send it to the church in the next town over. Let's call it Web City. Okay. So they say, we're going to send it there. Scribe makes a copy, goes there. Then they say, let's also send it 
to Joplin and Carthage and Carl Junction. Let, let's even go to Springfield. Let's keep sending this letter because all the church needs this letter from Paul. It's not just for the Ephesians, it's for everybody. So they start making their own copies. And they send it there and there and there and there. It goes all over. What do you think that next church does who received a copy of the original from the original church? They do the same thing. They copy it and keep sending it. That's how the New Testament just spread everywhere in the Roman Empire. Because they knew what it was and they said, this has to go to everybody everywhere. Let's get it out there. So they copied and copied and copied. Well, again, what about mistakes? I mean, are, are they going to make a, a copying error and a mistake? They did, yes. But here's the thing. Scholars who've studied this have put together all these copies of the New Testament. And did you know that out of any piece of literature from history, any of them, from the ones you probably had to read in school, like uh, Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, all those books, that people don't question if they were really written, but people question the Bible, but they shouldn't for, for one of these reasons. Did you know that the Bible has more evidence supporting its authenticity for how it was written than any other piece of literature from history. There's at least 5,000 known copies of the New Testament that are all put together in whole. And that's not counting the pieces, like a portion of a letter, but the whole New Testament, there's over 5,000 copies of this, and no other piece of literature comes close. So then on top of that, well, do they match? There's over 99% agreement in all these copies. Copied by hand. 99% agreement. Now you could say, what about the 1%? That's, I mean, if it's God's word, it should be 100, right? Well, the thing is you can put them all together and you can reconstruct the original. Because you can clearly see when you compare who made a mistake copying down this over here. But let me say this. The 1% or so that doesn't agree, none of it, none of it is significant. Meaning none of it impacts doctrine. It would be someone said the versus a. Or someone spelt this word different than this guy over here did. It's stuff like that. It's nothing that impacts doctrine. And again, that says to me that God preserved this process for centuries and centuries. So now today, we have, in our language, English, a copy of God's word. And we know it is accurate and true from all the way back to Moses in the book of Genesis. They would take these copies of the letters and start translating them into other languages. And on and on down the line we go to here we are today. And there's still hundreds of languages in the world that don't have God's word in their language. There's ministries that dedicate to that. But I just want to give you the confidence that it was God authored through human agents by the Holy Spirit. And the process was meticulously preserved and presided over so that we know we have an accurate copy of God's word today. Now then, second point real quick, but why is the Bible still important? Well, it was God breathed, he wrote it, but now let's look at what does it do for you though? Well, the Bible's crucial because it's profitable to you. That's the next part in Paul's words here. Let me read again in verse 16. All scriptures breathed out by God. Now we get the next part profitable. What's it profitable for, Paul? He says, for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So 
Now Paul says, I told you who wrote it. That's why it's important. It came from God. Now let me tell you what it does for you. The word profitable means advantage, gain. It, it could be a financial term of you make profit. So that's what he's getting at here. The Bible is an advantage to you. It, it brings you gain and rewards here. What, is, what does it actually do, though? He has a list here. He says the first one, it's profitable or, or good for teaching. Doesn't need much explanation. Let's just call teaching the doctrine. Or let's call teaching right thinking. What does the Bible do for a person who takes it serious? Teaches you what you should think. Teaches you what you should know. How to think rightly about about what? Everything just about. What the Bible really does for a person who takes the whole thing serious is it gives them what we call a worldview. You may have heard someone talk about a worldview. It means what it says. It's a view of the world. And I don't mean like the planet. A worldview is basically your, your view on kind of everything about life. Like where did life even come from? What should I be doing with my life? What do I think is right versus wrong? What are my ethics? What do I believe is true versus false? Good versus evil? The Bible gives you this worldview in a sort of a package there, all inclusive. So it answers these questions. Where did life come from? It came from God. What's life all about? To live for God, to bring glory for God. So it answers these things. And Paul says not just that, but it teaches you what you should believe about God. Who is God? What's he like? What's he do? It's all in scriptures. God, God has revealed himself to people is the point. Not just who he is, but what people should think. The next thing he says, <clears throat> it's good for reproof. My translation says reproof. That could be the word rebuking. The Bible, when you read it, teaches you what you should think and know. But then the next thing it does is it will rebuke you. It will expose sin in your life. So you read the scriptures and it all of a sudden says, don't do this. And you say, well, wait a minute, I've been doing that. Now there's conviction sets in. The Holy Spirit's in your heart. You're reading the pages of scripture and they kind of work together to correct you, to reproof you, rebuke you. It's sort of a spiritual slap in the face. Say, hey, stop that. Bible says don't do it, and you're doing it, it wakes you up. Like, okay, now there, there's conviction sets in. That leads to the next word. It doesn't just sort of slap you and tear you down. It corrects you. That's the building back up part of the Bible. That word correction means to restore back. So it tears you down, but builds you up the way God needs you to be. Um, I know Bill Riggs was in the Marine Corps. I don't think he's here today, but he was talking to me a week or two ago. And he made the comment about, like, in boot camp, and I assume it's the same for all the services, but he would say that their drill instructors would say, like, in boot camp, you know, why is everybody yelling at us, and why is it so hard? And they would say, we got to tear you down. we got to break you down. The person you came into the military, you, you will no longer be when they're done with you at boot camp. They're going to tear you down. Why? Because they hate you? No. Build you up. Build you up to what they need you to be as an armed forces service member. In a similar way, the Bible's like that. You read it, and it's just tearing you down. It's telling you things that you're not, and you know you should be doing. You're doing, and you know you shouldn't be doing. But it doesn't end there. It builds you back up. It says, now here's what you do. Here's the corrective part. Paul says the next thing it does, for training in righteousness. The Bible is good for teaching us, training us how to live a godly life. How to actually live a life that pleases God. Do the things that God wants us to do. How to look more like Jesus Christ. 
And then he says there's a result that will happen, the end of verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now I want to add a caveat. He does say the man of God, and that's a technical term for a prophet or like a preacher of the gospel. But I would stress to you, this does not only apply to prophets and preachers and and people who sort of minister for the Lord. That's not all he's talking about. He was writing to Timothy, who was going to be a preacher and, and a pastor and helped Paul in ministry a lot. So yes, he is talking to Timothy, saying, you're a man of God, a preacher of God. You need the Bible, Timothy. Why? Because it equips you for every good work that God has called you to. But I want to say that that principle applies to every Christian, man, woman, regardless of age, regardless of whether or not you teach a class, applies to every Christian. So let's say it in a more generic way. What's the result of the Bible? Well, it equips the child of God for every good work that God has called you to. You feel like God's called you to something, you're not sure how to do it, what to do about it, where to go, get in the Bible. Now, is the Bible going to tell you a literal, like, tomorrow do this? Not necessarily. It's not like an agenda planner. But it's going to give you that worldview. It's going to shape your mind as you read it. As your mind gets changed, your heart comes with it. It's going to teach you what you should think, what you should do, how to be like Christ. It's changing the inside of you. Then when you go to your job, raise your family, go to places, you live that out with your daily life. That's that last part. It equips you, it trains you to do the things God has called you to do. Meaning, without the Bible, without a person thinking it's important and taking it in, they're not going to know these things, are they? They're going to be far less likely to do the things God has called them to do. Let's think about that for a second. Let's take verse 16 and 17 and say it in a negative way. Let's say it like this. The person who doesn't care about the scriptures, that they're breathed out by God, they don't care, they don't take it serious, they don't take it in, then here's what they don't get. They don't get the teaching from God. They don't get correction from God. Or we should say before that, the reproof, the rebuking. They're not warned about sin. They're not taught and don't know how to correct it, then they don't have training to live a righteous life. And the end result, they're not equipped. They're not complete to do the things God has called them to do. They're going to lack a lot. It's like being told to go work on a car and you have no idea how to work on the car. You're supposed to rebuild the engine and you have no clue. I say that because that's me. You could tell me All I know is how to put the gas in the vehicle and take it to the shop to get the oil changed and the tires rotated. I know nothing else, okay? But there's some of you that may say, man, I can rebuild an engine. That's great. You've obviously, though, been taught how to do that by someone or you've seen it. Not me. So without that, I would make it a disaster. But think about that with Scripture as a Christian. Christian says, I want to please God, live for God, do the right things for God. I want my life to be better for the Lord. Okay, well, it starts with scriptures. Are you in it? The Christian who says, I don't really have time to to be in the word and I don't have time to take in the scriptures and the Bible, but man, I wish my life was so much better or this was going on over here. I can tell you what's going on. It's actually not that hard. You're not getting trained and equipped to do the things God has called you to do. Now, what will happen is a domino effect of all other consequences. 
See, the child of God who is not following God's word, they're not taking it in. What's really happening spiritually, they're starving themselves. Jesus called God's word bread. So imagine starving yourself for 40 days. What would that do to your body? Probably kill you. But it's no different spiritually. Imagine going 40 days without taking any scripture in, not even reading it a little bit. You're starving yourself. And then you're going to sit back and wonder, why has my life got this going on and that's in disorder and that? It's actually very simple. You've kind of caused it yourself. You're starving yourself. Then you're going to feel anxious and depressed and worrisome. Why is that? That's actually probably the spirit inside of you tugging at you, saying, you know you're not on the path you should be on. You know you're not following the things and doing the things, or you're not prioritizing the things that God wants you to. And it throws everything else off out of balance and out of sorts. Then we feel depressed and just troubled all the time, and I'm just reacting rather than managing, and I'm just chasing my tail in life. It could literally be as simple as what Paul said here. You're not being equipped to do what God's called you to do. Got to get back into the scriptures. Then you're letting your mind and your heart be shaped and formed and changed to follow the leading of the Spirit. And it sort of puts other things in order in your life. You're able to handle those things that come up better. A problem comes up and now you're trained and equipped, though, to deal with it in a godly manner rather than a, just a human thinking manner. Paul said to Timothy, the Bible was his source, his only source for him to be able to do the things God had called him to do. It's no different for you whether or not you're ever a preacher or a teacher. So I want to stress, do you realize that the very Bible you hold in your hands is the actual words of the living God that he wanted us to have? This is why going to uh, classes or finding materials online is so important to help you understand it and grow in it, read it better, read it more. Just to be blunt with you, I know I'm not the most um, dynamic, we'll say, of a preacher. I know that. I've accepted that years ago. But years ago, I fell under the strong conviction that whatever I do in ministry, I may even be called boring. It doesn't matter to me. All I want when I talk is for people to walk out here saying, I understand a little bit more of God's word. That's all I want. Because if you can do that, now you can go grow. You can go do what God's called you to do. I don't want you leaving here saying, you know, oh, I was really fired up because he said this or that. I just want you leaving here saying, he made much of the Bible and I feel like I understand it better. Now the Holy Spirit will use that and take off with you to grow with that. But again, that's why it's important, I think, in ministry that we make everything that I do, the teachers do, that this church does, is centered around the Word of God. And then in your life, your own personal life, it should also be a priority of how can I make sure I'm intaking God's Word more and more. You, you may not understand it. That's, that's great. That's fine. There's resources to help you with that. Just ask. You've got Sunday school teachers here. There's others here that can help with that. That's why yeah, I believe it is important that people are committed to personally reading it, taking it in, and going and hearing it or being taught it. Let me quickly just share this with you and we'll be done. I thought about something that maybe if someone says, I'm not sure how to get started. There's a simple 
trick I was taught years ago. I'll share it with you. It sounds simple, but it works. I was taught probably 15 years ago a good way to start understanding the Bible better. You don't have to get a book or other things. Just take your Bible. Take a book that you want to start with. Let's say 1 John. It's fairly short. You could take 1 John. What you do is set aside the time every day, once a day, every day, to read that whole book. It's just, what, five, six chapters maybe? I think five. It wouldn't take you that long, maybe 30 minutes. But you could take 30 minutes, right, and just every day read through that book. Don't worry about understanding it even. Just read it. Read it to get through it. But if you do that every day for 30 days, take one month, how much do you think you might be really getting about First John if you read it every day, repeating that for 30 days? I promise you, I promise you after 30 days, you're going to know a lot about First John. That, and that's not a teacher helping you, that's just you reading it. Why is that? Because there's something about our brains that it's kind of like we have to have it repeated a little bit more. Over and over and over. And then you start getting a little bit more and a little bit more. What about a big book like Matthew? Well, you could take seven chapters in Matthew, read, read seven chapters a day for 30 days. Then in the next 30 days, take the other block of seven. It's fine if it takes you a long time. It doesn't matter, right? It's just about understanding what you can, can read. Remembering it, you're sort of locking it in. Then, when you're in a situation, the Holy Spirit will recall to your mind those scriptures and those things. Just a simple tip, maybe get you started. I want to end on this note. It's said in Hebrews that God in these last days has spoken to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. It could be that maybe someone hasn't valued the scriptures or the Bible as God's word, they haven't really valued it in their life because they don't truly understand Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Maybe if someone was honest, they could say, maybe I'm not passionate about God's word and taking it in and living it because I've never even come to Christ in the first place, who is the living word of God. If you're not right with Christ, you're not going to care about the Bible. It's just, it's just that simple. I pray that you do know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, though. Has he forgiven you of your sins? Do you know that? If he has, then the next step for you is now how do I live this walk for Jesus? You have to have the Bible. You have to be taking it in. It's your training. I pray that you know that and we'll do that. I want to pray and give us time to reflect and Bruce and the worship team will come. Would you bow with me, please? God, thank you for the gift of your written word. Lord, there are languages and cultures that don't have it yet, and I ask that you'd continue to bless the fruits of those ministries that work on these things for countless years. But God, for us, thank you for blessing us, not just with one translation in our English language. God, we have so many. We've been blessed with so many copies of English Bibles, some that are technical, some that are more paraphrased. We, we have all kinds of options in our culture so God, I ask that you forgive myself, starting with me and maybe others here who feel the same for how little attention we pay to your word sometimes. Jesus, you said to the one who has been given much, much will be required. Well, God, you have given us much in America by way of scripture resources and all kinds of tools to help us understand it. So God, would you enlighten a fire in us to leave here see the, the crucial significance of the Bible and that we'll make it an ever-growing priority in our lives to grow and be trained by it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.